Today's scripture lesson is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's titled, Imitating Christ's Humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jenna Fabiano. Um, many of you, I think, already know that I am the wife of Pastor Daniel, and I'm really grateful to be able to be here this morning and to share God's word with you. So thank you for inviting me into your homes. I had really been hoping to see your faces, of course, this morning back in the day when, when we were first dialoguing about this, um, but I'm really grateful that we, of course, can do this over live stream. And I do pray that you will be met by God this morning. So we're looking this morning at the passage, at a passage in Philippians 2 as part of the Seeing Jesus sermon series that you all have been working through. And in this letter, Paul is urging the Philippians, so in the whole of this letter, the breadth of this letter, Paul is urging the Philippians to live a life that's worthy of the gospel message that they proclaim. So essentially, practice what you preach. Live a life that demonstrates that you believe that Jesus is Lord and imitate him. Live that life. I recently saw a similar theme in a book by John Mark Comer where he outlines that the key to experiencing the life of Jesus is similarly to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, to imitate him. He says this, take Jesus' life as a template for your own. Take on his habits and practices. Copy your rabbi's every move. And I would add this morning, I would add to that, copy not only what he does, but also, if not more importantly, how he thinks. Because specifically here in Philippians chapter 2, where we've read from this morning, Paul urges his listeners to take on the mind of Christ in order to live that life, in order to proclaim him, live like him. Yes, but think like him. 
Enter into the headspace, the mindset, the world of Christ. Think as he did. Try to step into his shoes and look at the world the way that he does. Because when we do this, when we see with his eyes and we adopt his imagination and way of thinking, our whole posture towards life and our own circumstances shifts. How would Jesus live if he were me? What choices would he make? How might he see my circumstances or understand the situation that we're all currently living in? To answer this, we first need to understand what the mindset of Christ really is, which is what we're exploring in the passage for this morning. That's, that's where we're going. That's where Paul's taking us to. Now, his opening thrust, though, in this passage is first for like-mindedness among the community. Here's where he starts. He says, if you have any encouragement from this encounter with Christ, any comfort, any sharing, tenderness, compassion, if you've gotten anything from this, in other words, if you have any of these things, then top it off by being like-minded with one another. So he's, he's speaking just generically at this point. We're talking here about the unity of minds within the Christian community. He's got the whole church family in mind. Have the same love. One spirit with one another. Value others above yourself. Don't just look to your own interests, but others first. Right? He's, he's speaking here about all of us, not just individual Christians. This isn't something that we just do on our own. He wants to establish that from the very beginning. Why? Because if we're not in relationships with one another, we can't grow in like-mindedness. We can't even talk about all this other stuff because we have no one to grow in like-mindedness with. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another. The implication here is that you need to have relationships in order to work out your discipleship. We can't discipline ourselves to have the same love. We can't practice putting one another first if we're isolated or just staying in our own little bubbles. And yes, I use those terms intentionally because that's perhaps one of the greatest heartaches in this whole season, is that we can't practice our discipleship in the same ways that we are used to. We're meant to be professional mimickers of Jesus to one another, but our normal means of mimicking have been severely limited. And that's, of course, lamentable. However, that doesn't mean that we just stop and wait till this whole thing blows over. Jesus would never have done that. When Paul says in verse 5, have the same mindset then as Christ Jesus, that's not, you know, an only when convenient kind of thing. There's no time frame here. We don't just quit when the going gets complicated. We seek wisdom to reimagine and, and, and rethink new ways to be Christ-like within these limitations. This is the pattern of thinking, in other words. This is what Paul's setting out for us. This is the pattern of thinking that must identify the people who belong to the Messiah in every season. But goodness, when you really think about it, when you look at it that way, these first few verses present us with a really tall order, very high standard. How on earth are we supposed to do all of that all the time with one another and, and be so generous with everything when everything within us is inclined towards thinking selfishly and putting ourselves first, especially in seasons of crisis? It's what every airline, you know, you know, back in the day when we used to get on planes and go and go places, it's, it's like when the airline would tell you in the safety talk, you got to put on your own mask first before you put on someone else's. We're trained to put ourselves first. How do we do this then? What Paul's asking us to do, how do we have the same mind with one another, the same love, the same mindset as Christ? 
Well, lo and behold, this, this series, this sermon series, isn't about seeing ourselves, thankfully, but about seeing Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul wants to do for us in this passage. Yes, following Jesus requires a lot of self-sacrifice. Yes, it goes against all of our natural inclinations. Yes, we're going to need some serious sanctification. But first, look at Jesus. Always, first, look at Jesus. See, Paul's now going to show us how we can be of one mind with one another. How we can have the same love and put others first. How we can undo the brokenness of our own sinful, selfish habits. How? We look at Jesus. Because in order to live like him and proclaim him, we need to think like him. So how did he think? Verse 6, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Christ did not strive to take hold of what was rightfully his. He didn't grasp onto power or seek to put himself above others. He had the right to seize control, but he did the exact opposite. He was equal with God, but he didn't take hold of that equality. On so many occasions, he could have. You know, when we read through these stories, there's times where you read through the stories in the Gospels and you think, come on, Jesus, show us more. Show us your power. Show us what you can really do. Show us that you have control. But verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of God? No. Of a servant. The way to imitate Christ is found right here. Christ made himself nothing before others. He had the nature of God and yet he took on the nature of a servant. Now I know when we then apply this to ourselves, it doesn't really sit well with us. I know. Because how often do we get discouraged when we're made to feel like nothing? when we're put down or we're belittled, when we're forced to be lower than we feel we really should be, or when we feel like someone else has control over our lives that isn't right or isn't fair. It's so difficult for us. And if we're falling into despair or hopelessness about it, there's a good chance that we're trying to grasp onto something that simply isn't ours to control. It's not ours to hold. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to the disciples in Mark 10, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know, that's what they do. But he says this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do as I do, says Jesus, not what they do. Don't look at their models. Don't look at their paradigms. Look at mine. Don't try to grasp onto control or power. There's a different way. There's a different way that I'm presenting to you, that I'm giving to you. Have the same mindset as I do. 
Because he went, verse 8, from being equal to God to being made in human likeness. And you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. It's not like there was some sort of genetic malfunction and he didn't get enough of the divinity genes. Jesus limited himself to being fully human with all of its messy limitations. And in being fully human, if he, if he was fully human and if he suffered every temptation known to man, then he would have also had his doubts. He would have been tempted. He was discouraged. He knew it wasn't fair. But he chose to live within a bigger narrative. He chose to have his father's imagination. He chose to have a kingdom imagination and to live into that, to believe otherwise. As many of you know, uh, Danny's mom and some of his family members are long-term missionaries in Angola. And when civil war broke out in the 70s and 80s and got significantly more violent and dangerous, the temptation, and really the sensible thing to do, was to leave. They were told by many, including the US government, that the sensible thing to do was to acknowledge the danger, be appropriately afraid of it, and leave. Because they could. That was a right and a privilege that they had. So they, they should. This is what they should do. But from their perspective, is that, is that what Christ would have done? The people they were serving needed to endure this, so, so why shouldn't they? God had called them to be here with these people. Just because they had certain rights and privileges didn't mean that they needed to exert them. So they chose to believe otherwise. They had the imagination to think outside of that fear and outside of the present circumstances. Because Jesus was Lord, even in the midst of civil war. Doesn't mean that they were irresponsible, but they simply chose to set aside their own rights and privileges in order to serve others, to humble themselves and to remain obedient. See, Christ-like humility is never exerting your own rights and privileges as if they're yours to grasp. It's recognizing that you're not actually on this earth to serve yourself, nor do you have ultimate control. Christ was made in human likeness, and second half of verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself in every way possible, as far as he could possibly go. He could not go any further. In other words, there's nothing more that he could have done, because he became obedient to death even death on a cross. You want to talk about sacrifice? You want to talk about a complete loss of personal rights and freedoms? No one made him do it. No one told him to be more humble or, or forced him into that position. He did it by his own will. And it was the most humiliating thing that someone in that day could possibly endure. Sure, we can go on and on about, you know, how painful it was, and, and movies and sermons in the past have, have done that. But here, that's not the point. That's not the point that Paul's trying to make. Jesus was absolutely, entirely, completely humiliated. That's where his perfect obedience took him, from humility 
to humiliation, taken advantage of in every way. See, Roman crucifixion wasn't just about pain, it was about shame, shaming the individual so as to make a spectacle of them. Yet somehow on that wooden crossbeam, in that place of shameful humiliation, there was great victory. It's the greatest paradox, it's the greatest and most paradoxical truth of our Christian faith that the greatest moment of humiliation is also the place of greatest victory. And it changed everything. Because how crazy is it that Paul now tells the Philippians and every other Christian community who would follow after them that they should have the same mindset as Christ. doesn't mean that we need to experience, of course, the same things that he did, but we need to think like him, to live into the same radical obedience, because when we do that, humbling ourselves before others and, and putting others above ourselves isn't so hard anymore. Then, and only then, will we see a world through his eyes, a world where his humiliation has achieved a hope that we could not. When we see with a kingdom imagination, when we seek to mirror his mindset and imitate his humility, we can collectively, in one spirit, participate in, and not just participate, but produce and point to the same hope that leads us to just one place. Because look, the poem doesn't actually end there. The cross is like the center of gravity in this poem, but it doesn't end there. It's like, it's like a star that collapses in on itself and, and there's so much power and, and pressure within it that all it can do is just explode into this grand expansion. Because look at verse 8, or look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It all leads to worship. For Paul, taking on the mind of Christ and embodying his humility leads to nothing less than worship, proclaiming truths about who he is. Interestingly, many scholars actually believe that these verses um, are an old Christian hymn or a song. The Philippians probably sang it every Sunday. This was their fundamental reality, that the God who became a slave for all is now glorified and king of the cosmos. This was the reality that they were tasked to live into. This was their kingdom imagination. Jesus is Lord, even now, even now. Which is, when you think about it, an absolutely bonkers thing to sing about. Because honestly, you think the Philippians didn't have a whole host of problems to worry about? That they didn't come to church with their own discouragements and frustrations? It wouldn't have been any easier for them in their own socioeconomic political context to live into this reality than it is for us today. It wouldn't have been any easier. But passages like this point us again to what we were made to do. We were created to imitate the one true God and to worship him. Danny and I recently 
I know, I guess a while ago now, rewatched the first Avengers movie, and I'm always hesitant to quote these kinds of films in a sermon, but this is really good because there was this one scene in this movie, this fascinating scene when the character Loki, who's, who's a prince of Asgard, you know, the city of the gods, he, he wants to start exerting his newfound power on the little human beings of Earth. And so after crashing a dinner party, he, he promenades out onto the public square and he starts shooting, you know, whatever his staff laser beam thing at the people and, and terrifying the crowds, yelling at the multitudes to kneel before him. And once, once they're all kneeling and, and stunned to silence, he says this, is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. And in the end, you will always kneel. And as he says this, the camera pans to an older gentleman, an older man in the crowd, who slowly gets up from his bowed knee, and he says this to Loki, not to men like you. We were made to worship, and in the end, we will all kneel, but only to one, to a savior of self-giving love, who is known most clearly, who is seen most clearly when he abandons his rights for the sake of the world. This is the hope of the Christian. This is what this whole passage is leading us to. We imitate the one we worship. We take on the mind of Christ in whatever scenario. We seek to think like him, to know him, to see him. And in seeing him, we're led to worship. I'm growing more and more convinced that the end of all of our discouragement in whatever season is worship. In the midst of persecution and oppression and plague and ostracization, the Philippians sang this song. In the midst of slavery and cotton fields came the African-American spirituals. Out of humiliation and suffering, songs continue to spring forth out of the Christian community and impact us in huge ways. You know, there's a reason why lyrics often stick with us better than sermons. And when we stop worshiping, it's like, it's like sinking deeper and deeper into a trench full of mud. We find all these ways of, of making ourselves feel better about the muck that's around us. But the only way to really unstickify ourselves and get ourselves out of that is to re-enter the bigger kingdom reality. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to steep yourselves in this reality. Not in the reality that you're stuck at home or that you can't travel or that you can't do what you wanted to do or that things aren't looking the way you hoped or that we just need to get through this so that we can get back to normal. This reality sit with it, nourish yourself in it, take on the mind of Christ and apply that to whatever situation you find yourself in. Find new opportunities in this season to imitate and to serve. And above all, worship. Proclaim truths about who he is, whether you feel like it or not. Name it and proclaim it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do not cease to worship. Think of, think of a song that you often go to when you're in times of crisis that gives you hope. And ask yourself, when was the last time I let myself sing it? 
The picture that we have in the book of Revelation is of endless worship, of a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing around the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white, holding palm branches, arms up in the air, crying out, salvation belongs to our God. How do we live a life that's worthy of the gospel message we proclaim? How do we gain like-mindedness and put others first? How do we see Jesus in this season? We take on the mind of Christ and we worship. We sang a song earlier in the service just before the message and I would encourage you to actually look it up again afterwards and, and really steep yourself in the lyrics. The chorus goes like this. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? May that be the phrase that sticks in your head as you go about your week and walk through the daily rhythms of life. In all the despair and frustrations, the discouragement and the angst, may this be the truth that rings in our ears. If Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Amen.